Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. Hi, my name is Stan Pons, and I'm the host of Make It Clear and the president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Thank you for listening to the daily Bible teaching here on Make It Clear. From time to time, I want to bring to you Bible teachers and friends from seasons of yesterday and today who had a great influence on my life, hoping they'll add value to yours as they did mine. Well, today's guest Bible teacher and author is Dr. Mark G. Cameron. As a young boy, he came to faith in Christ through the ministry of Billy Sunday, and then later in life, he worked side by side with W.B. Riley and the Northwestern Bible Schools in Minneapolis, and then with Lee Roberson at Tennessee Temple in Chattanooga. Then Dr. Cameron became the vice president of Florida Bible College when it began in 1962. Did you know he was one of the most popular Bible teachers at Florida Bible College because of his love for Jesus Christ, his love for the Word of God, his love for Jewish people, founding Seaside Mission to Jewish people in Miami, and of course to all of us as students. We'll never forget his love for his beloved wife, Miss Mary. I learned Bible doctrines and hermeneutics from his class at Florida Bible College and from his books. And today, my friends, I am happy to have you listen to one of his past messages, and hopefully you'll be as blessed from it as I was. But here's my guest today, Dr. Mark G. Cameron. Oh, you know, I've loved the Jewish people so much. I sought to love them when I was a child by my mother, who's here tonight, and uh, just kept on going, just kept on going. When I went on to the high school, had so many Jewish friends and lived in our home. We just loved them. Then when I went on up there to uh, Northwestern Bible School in Minneapolis, I got the great Abrahamic covenant. Then I found out what the Lord was doing, and uh, I dedicated my life to missions. I will forget that I'd gone over a space about five months, and it was a fight to go into missions. Oh, what a fight it was, God. I dedicated my life to the Lord, but then it came another demand of the Lord now to go ahead and uh, go into missions. Well, uh, finally down there at the McHale's uh, restaurant where I was doing all kinds of um, restaurant work, you know, I said, all right, Lord. I'll be a missionary, so I came on back, and I had uh, most uh, consecrated uh, roommate you ever seen. He told me so. He he uh, <laughs> he didn't think I was very spiritual. He has to be removed after a while. But anyway, I came in. You know, his face was so long. I came in, and I said, Fremont, I says. I says, I finally surrendered. I'm going to be a missionary. God bless you. <laughs> May the chills go down my back. Well, he said, let's go down and get on our knees. We got down on our knees, and he dedicated me to Africa. But you, <laughs> well, the Lord didn't want me in Africa, you know what? And so after 22 years, the Holy Spirit told me that he wanted me to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And so someone told me this, said, wanted it a fight? I said, no, I had it 22 years before. And so the Lord is blessed. And so many people come and say, aren't you Jewish? And I always give them that stock uh, little joke about the Jewish lady got on the bus and she sat by a Gentile there and she looked at him. She said, are you Jewish? 
He said, no, ma'am. They kept on writing, and she looked at him and looked at him. She said, aren't you Jewish? No, ma'am. Finally, after about ten more minutes, she said, are you sure you're not Jewish? Well, to stop her, he said, yes, ma'am. She said, you don't look Jewish. <laughs> so, so that's about where it was. And I, I want to say this. I don't look Jewish much. If I get to, a lot of people, you know where I work with, with them so much, they begin to say, we Jews. I just let it go. And I've gone to most every place where the Jewish, just Jewish people go, take my yarmulke, and away we go. And we have such a wonderful time. The Lord's placed upon our heart. Uh, not only the salvation of the Jewish people, but the Gentiles as well, and we just praise God for it. I do thank God for every one of you here tonight for the wonderful singing. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. And the, the one especially that I appreciate was about the rapture of carriage. And remind me, uh, some years before we came down here to Miami, uh, we had the windows all up. It was kind of in the spring. And we, our home was between uh, Highway 11, Highway 41, and about a mile each way. And uh, Miss Mary, that's my wife, was, was there, you know, by the side of me. About that time, about 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, one of these big old uh, semi-trucks passed. I don't know which uh, highway was on. And it, it was the most beautiful thing you've ever heard. It had tune to it. And it blasted out like this. Boop, boop. Well, you know, I just raised up, and I then looked over there at Miss Mary, and she was still sleeping. I said, I said aren't you, isn't she going up? And then I says, uh, Lord, is this the rapture? Is that the trumpet? And the Lord said, no. <laughs> and I said, how do I know, Lord? He said, you wouldn't have time to ask. Amen. <laughs> It's wonderful to get into the Word of God, and you know it thrilled my heart. You've seen it here, Florida Bible College up there upon our, our buildings there, the Bible. And that also reminds me of that stock joke that I always tell my uh, students about the young man that went before his bishop. And the uh, bishop said, what do you want? He said, I want to be ordained. He said, what do you want to be ordained for? He said, I want to preach. What do you want to preach? He said, I want to preach the Bible. Well, tell me some of it. Well, he says, uh, there was a good Samaritan, and he's on his way to Jericho, he met and fell among the thorns, and the briars did choke him. Well, he got up and put his uh, mantle upon the animal that nobody had ever rid before, and he went through the forest, and his long hair got entwined into the boughs of the tree. And there he remained for 40 days and 40 nights. And the ravens, they did come and feed him. Then Delilah, she comes with her pair of scissors and she cuts him and he falls upon stony ground. Then he gets up again, gets upon that animal. He goes down to Jericho and sees a wicked Jezebel up there. And he says, upon the wall, and he said, brethren, chuck her down. Said they chucked her down. He said, chuck her down again. Said, they chucked her down again. He said, chuck her down again. Said, they chucked her down 70 times 7. And they, picked, and they picked up the fragments, and there was 12 baskets left over. <laughs> yeah. 
Verily, verily, brethren, I ask you in the last resurrection whose wife she's going to be. Amen. Now, you know what? We gave you all Bible. Did you know it? Every bit of it's Bible. But oh, how loosely and disconnected it is. And how we do need to go find things, especially of coming events, that we should not mix coming events with coming events. There are some that are going to have precedent over the other. You know, they are about ready now to start the lottery for the 19-year-olds. I remember 30 years ago when they started compulsory training before Pearl Harbor. Oh, there went such a great, great uh, clamor all over the nation that said, we don't need it, we should not have it. Even some uh, great Christian bodies got together and voted and sent to Mr. Roosevelt, the president at that time, and complained against having conscription, peacetime conscription, but then Pearl Harbor changed it all. And we saw the value. And from that time on, we have never been without a single solitary year. But we've had the draft. The draft goes out, but now it's being reestablished. We've known that. We've been speaking this for 30 years, that therefore the draft is on. You young people here, if you do not soon become those who are going to be missionaries or Christian workers will have to go to the war. And you expect, young ladies, that you're going to be drafted also. We are finding that we are living in perilous times. And the Word of God says in the last days, perilous times shall come. Every, every about place around us. We know this, that, that there is not going to be such thing as no appropriation for war. When Dr. Stanford and I were over in the Near East four years ago, when we were there in Lebanon, we saw soldiers. When we were in Israel, we saw soldiers. When we were in Greece, we saw soldiers. When we were in Turkey, we saw soldiers. When we were in Rome, we saw soldiers. Wherever we went, soldiers. The whole world is in an armed camp. And so we began to find out that there are those who begin to uh, speak peace and say that there is peace. And I never will forget that when we were with that man that was with him about two and a half days. I got there, met us in Haifa, with him that afternoon. And then he came early in the next morning. We were with him all that day. That night we had gone out to the Sea of Galilee, gone by Caesarea. And when we were coming back real late, going from Haifa to Caesarea, I never will forget what he asked us. And he began to ask Dr. Stanford and I, me, he began to ask us, says, now listen, says, uh, what is your brand of Christianity? I've noticed that everywhere we've gone, everywhere we've gone, he says, uh, you have not crossed yourself. You have not bowed down to any image. You have not used any kind of holy water. You haven't used anything. We said, no, not at all. We have the true and living God. Well, he said, will you tell us, tell me right now what, what you, your Christianity is? Dr. Stamper said, we believe this, that God took upon himself human flesh. And when God said, that a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and that God would give that sign, that that, that person was no one else, but Yeshua HaMashiach, the Lord Jesus, who was born nearly 2,000 years ago. His name shall be called God with us, and he was God manifested in the flesh. He lived a sinless life. He died for our kapura, for our atonement, and after rising from the dead, he rose the third day, and he's the Savior the Messiah of all Israel, and not only that, but he's the Messiah 
of the whole wide world to everyone that trusts him. I never will forget that he just began to say, he said, if that is true Christianity and that salvation is in this, this person you call Jesus, he said, then every Israelite of, of the nation of Israel shall therefore trust in him. We kept on going, and then Dr. Stanford said, yes. They said, when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them. While he was going, he just took his hand off of the uh, wheel there and then put it back on. He says, I can see it. He, and we say, what is that? He said, they have taught us here in Israel that whatever we say, we say shalom, meaning peace. Of course, we know the salutation is shalom alechem, peace be unto you. And then you say alechem shalom, unto you be peace. But we found out that when we went up to get some gasoline, man came out, said shalom, hello. When we paid him, shalom, goodbye. When someone says they don't know whether they're coming or going, all right. Well, anyway, we found out that everywhere they went, they were just shalom, shalom. He says, you know what they have taught us? They have taught us here in the nation of Israel to say shalom for every kind of a greeting. Because after a while, by saying it so much and so many times a day and so many millions saying it every day, we will have peace. But Dr. Stanford said, no. So in the last days, you're going to say peace and safety. Then sudden destruction cometh upon them. Then Dr. Stanford said, do you not want to trust him? He said, I most certainly do. And that man accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior that night. And how we praise God, he knew the full payment that, that his Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach, God manifested in the flesh, had done for him. We're living in terrible times. We know that. We're finding this, that men have more love of pleasure than for God. We know that. That's kind of getting on to the spiritual. But now we're, we're emphasizing the The first man ever born was a murderer, and he killed his own brother. The first war, the first enmity, blood was shed. We find the time came for them to offer up a sacrifice, and we find that Abel offered up the first one of the flock, while Cain offered up the works of his hand. God had respect unto Abel, not because he was a good man. He did not have disrespect unto Cain because he was a bad man, because they were both bad men. For they both offered up a sacrifice for sin. They both knew that they were sinners. But God shows us that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And we find out that man's works cannot save him. And uh, Cain offered unto God the offering of his work, the offering of his hand. And uh, all we find that Cain was very wroth. And the Lord said, Now, said, Do you not know that sin lieth at the door? And we know sin and sin offering are the same in the Hebrew. What are you saying this to Cain? You, you made a bobble of it. And I did not accept that. Do you not know that you can go and offer up a blood sacrifice and you will be accepted? Then offer up the fruit of your hands after you're saved. Not to keep yourself saved, but for reward. That's the whole message there. Now we're finding out this, that when a man rejects the blood sacrifice, then therefore we find he will take the blood of man. When this world has rejected the Lord Jesus Christ, then man's blood has been sh shed. 
We know since the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord that this world in some part has never had a t day of peace. There have been fights within, there have been fights without. And the Lord Jesus himself begins to say, Do you not know about this? And they said, Give us a sign of thy coming. And he gave them several signs. And one of this is that nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Then he began to say, Pestilence in diverse places. Uh, uh, and then earthquakes in diverse places. We can re read in our paper tomorrow, and we're going to find where there is another earthquake. Now, I made that kind of a prediction about 14 years ago, making Georgia. And as I said that, I said, read your newspaper in the morning, and you'll see where another big uh, earthquake has hit. And uh, sure enough, there came upon the Macon Telegraph, their paper, a big earthquake down here in South America. One lady brought it that night. And she held it up and said, he's a prophet. He's a prophet. Uh, and so somebody came up to me and said, how did you know? Had you heard? I said, no, ma'am. I said, well, how, how did you know that there would be an earthquake yesterday? We'd get a report of it today. I said, at the time of the Lord Jesus, they said they were having one to three earthquakes a year. Today, we're having between 40 and 50,000 a year. So you're bound to get one in there somewhere, you see? And so... so <laughs> So we say that, oh, today we've heard that there has been an earthquake anyway. You're going to read about it tomorrow. So there are earthquakes in diverse places where you'd never think they'd come. Pestilence. Now, we are finding out this, that war was started by man. Now, we do know that God has used war, and we find out in one place where Israel went against one of a nation, it says, and the war was of God. We find that God has used his armies and the armies of other nations to be his uh, avengers. God has used them to bring law and order. And we find out that God told Abraham before he even ever had Isaac that his son or his seed would go into a nation foreign to his and stay there for 400 years and be oppressed there. And after the fourth generation, they should come up for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. When the iniquity of the Amorites was full, then God was to use Israel as a nation to come and take care of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and the Gergesites, and therefore to go ahead and, and rid the land of all of these polluted people because their, their iniquity was indeed full. I went down there with a group to Pompeii three years ago, and when we went down there, they took some of us men into a place that, that were secluded to the ladies. And they said, we want to show you things. And what we saw, we, we thought it's just as though that you, and it's up on the walls of some of the buildings there, and some of the dwelling houses, you would think that you were picking up some of the magazines that we have today. The pornography was rampant. No wonder God said, that Pompey's days and Herculeum's day had come to an end in 79 A.D. and blasted off the top of the mountain there and covered it with ashes for 1,500 years. And so we find out that God uses armies of the world to chastise other peoples who have disgraced against him. He may not be their savior, but he is the God now 
He's not the father of all mankind, but he is the God of this whole world. He is the creator of every human being in the world. He's not their father. You have to be born again in order to be, for God to be your father, whereby he's placed his spirit into our hearts that we might call him Abba Father. So in the word of God, what we're saying about the wars coming to, to this time, we know wars and pestilence. At the time of every war, we find that there is a great, great disease that goes out. We know that World War I has as its great disease influenza. Then World War Number Two came on. And we find that with the pestilence of that time came polio. I was making this statement. I said, I do not know. This is right after World War II was over, 1945. I was in uh, my church there in Chattanooga, and I made that statement that uh, I do not know what the pestilent is of World War II, but I know that there is one. When I got through, the mayor of the city of Chattanooga came up to me, said, I was just talking to the Surgeon General of the Marines, and he says, polio is rampant all over the world. But now we have the salt vaccine and the other vaccine for polio, and that's not a crippler anymore like it is. Now we have had the Korean War, now Vietnam, and we begin to find there is another disease. I'm not talking about the social disease, but I'm talking about a disease that may delay its uh, uh, appearing for 10 whole years. We are finding that the Korean, uh, those exposed to this, this disease in the Korean War is now bearing fruitage. And it's running rampant in America. They tell us it's running rampant all over the world. That is the terrible disease of leprosy. A person can contact it and not have any showing of it till 10 years later. I was down in Baton Rouge, Louisiana some years ago holding a meeting, and I uh, happened to uh, be talking to him. He told me that a certain city was, or town was near him. I said, have you ever been over there to the leprosorium? He says, no, I haven't. I said, you haven't. I, I, I began to tell him certain things. He said, where did you find this? I said, oh, I've been reading up on it. He said, let me call. So he made an engagement for us, too. And when we came there to this great leprosorium, and we do know that years and years ago, Leprosy was very rare in America. And we find that once a month, however, they had one of these uh, leper trains that made a circle all over the United States, going around to the south, then up to the east, and then over to the north near Canada, and then come down the west coast, back down through Texas, down there to Louisiana. And we found out that they made this, this leper call once a month, and they bring men, sometimes two, sometimes ten. It was very veiled before and behind the public did not know anything about it. Then, uh, then we find out that uh, the, the, it's a public knowledge now, and it's growing and growing. When we got there, we saw this huge, vast space there, all uh, surrounded by wire. And we find that the Marines were guarding it, and we saw building after building. When we got there, they called our name, they had our pass. And when we got there to one of the hospitals, there's hospital after hospital after hospital, some of them eight and ten stories high, all made of wood. 
yet they all were connected by huge forces, the first floor even up to the eighth. And so when we got there and got onto the front porch, big veranda there, I turned to the pastor and I says, I know, I know this is a leper. So I have never seen a leper before, but I know that this, he said, isn't it the truth? I can see why Moses, when he went ahead, handy, he had the uh, people to, to be put on outside, would put up their hands over their face and called out, unclean, unclean. That's a sanitary way of keeping the germs from spreading, of course. And I could see how they became so loathful because after we got there and we began to go from one place to the other, they appointed a leper to take us around. We could tell even by her breath that she was a leper. We talked to other lepers. I remember while we were going down, down the corridor and we came through there, the amendments, we had seen a big Cadillac on the outside with a colored chauffeur on the outside. Inside here, we saw a very wealthy woman with her furs around her, but they had her foot upon a pillow, and they were making tests upon her. She is a very wealthy woman. We could tell that. We went through for two or three hours and saw all of the buildings. And then when we came back, I, I went up to use the phone, and lo and behold, one of the sisters there, they're the French uh, order there, I saw where the sister herself, and I found out she'd been there for 32 years, had contacted the disease, and she's full of it herself. I can say when you see a leper, you'll know it forever. And I've seen them in America. As we know, there are so many in America that have broken out and will not go back. There are others who have the disease but do not know it. And it is one of the greatest diseases going and coming. We'd like to say this, that when we came back, we inquired about this woman. And they found out she did have leprosy. So we found children have it. We found out that the adults have it. We find the very poor have it. We find out the very rich have it. We find the Latins have it. We find the Caucasians have it. It's not limited to one race. The whole human race, we do know, is coming up with one, and they're predicting now that we can expect one of the greatest epidemic of leprosy the world has ever known. And so we find out, yes, there's going to be pestilence, pestilence of all kinds. But the Lord Jesus is showing to us of the wars. There are those who came to us many years ago, many years ago, and began to quote the Scripture. And I remember reading it. And there are people, you're going to find that we have uh, peace groups in America saying that we can have peace in our day. And they're getting up and they say, come on, let's, let's use the Word of God and what the Word of God says. And, it shall, and he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. And they said, that is the scripture that we should go by today. And uh, that's over oh, there in Isaiah, the second chapter and the fourth verse. But we say what scripture we should go by today should be the very opposite as we find over here in Joel 2. The tenth verse where it says, beat your plowshares into swords and let your pruning hooks 
into spears, and let the weak say, I am strong. Here we find that God says, for these days that we'll live again, that we should prepare for war. And should the Lord delay his coming, we do know that there's going to be World War III. And should he continue to delay his coming, there'll be World War IV. And he continue and continue and continue until the Lord Jesus Christ comes back again. Now, in the Word of God, in the sixth chapter of the Revelation, I want you to turn to that. In Revelation, the sixth chapter, we find here are the great wars during the tribulation that is to come. Praise God, this is one, one, one uh, time that, and uh, one in series of wars that we who are born again will not see. We have seen nation going against nation. And we have seen kingdom rise against kingdom in our day. But here there's going to be such a world war that we have never seen before. And over here in the sixth chapter, we begin to find of the four, four sixth chapter of Revelation. And we begin to find of the four horsemen. We usually call it the four horsemen of the apocalypse. First is a man riding the white horse. The next one goes out and rides the red horse. Then the third, we find out, is the black horse. Then we find out there is the pale horse for the fourth. And here in the seventh verse, we begin to find out that they had two riders on this horse. And the seventh verse, and when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was Death and Hades. That should be Hades followed with him, and power was given unto over there the fourth part of the earth. Now get this. Power is given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill, to kill with sword and with hunger, with death, and with the beast of the earth. Here we find that on the the series of these battles, one-fourth of the earth is going to be destroyed. Will you look over here to the ninth chapter of the book of the Revelation? Over here in the ninth chapter, what a terrible thing this tribulation is going to be. The 70th week of Daniel, the day of Jacob's trouble. Praise God for those, whether it be Jew or Gentile, who trust the Lord Jesus will be delivered from this time to come. Well, you look at the 13th verse of the ninth chapter of the book of Revelation. And the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angels which had the trump, Loose the four angels which are bound in the great river Euphrates. And the four angels were loosed and were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year for to slay the third part of men. We find that this great horde is going to come from over there by the river Euphrates, and this coincides with the 16th chapter, but see what a great army that is to come. And the number of the army of the horsemen were 200,000 thousands, and I heard the number of them, 200 millions. These are those, as we find in the 16th chapter, come from the land of the east, or the land of the rising of the sun. Who can that be? but no one but China. And we find out that Matt Toussaint, he's not in very good health now, unless he, and, and he may have died since, since we thought about this message, but we do know that he has said in the last two years 
he says, I have already the equipment and the manpower to put an army of 100 million men. Get that. I can put an army of 100 million men fully equipped in the field in 24 hours. Give me seven years and I can have 200 million. So we find out the number is not exaggerated. As we get into here, you know, begin to read this wonderful Bible. It's so easy to read. Just take it as it is. We know that 400 years ago, Martin Luther himself said this, that he did not believe that the book of the Revelation should belong to the Holy Canon. He said it's impossible for these things ever in any way, imaginary or literal, to be fulfilled. It's impossible. He did not believe that John wrote it to begin with. He said it could not happen. One thing is this, how easy it is to be living in your day. We find in the 11th chapter, we find that there are two witnesses who witnessed for three and a half years. And as they witnessed, we find uh, that they not only witnessed against the restored temple, but they witnessed against the world religion, the world church at that time. And they are the two witnesses. And God says, these are the two olive trees spoken in the book of, of Zechariah. Now, we find out that for three and a half years, all matter means is devised to kill them. But they are not allowed to be slain, not at all. Fire comes out of their mouth and they destroy them. We find that after, though, they have finished their testimony. After they have finished their testimony. You'll find that man, if he's really surrendered to God, and he says, Thy will be done in my life, he's immortal until God gets through with him. When God gets through with him, then he's finished his testimony. Every once in a while, I remind the Lord when I'm flying up there 40,000 feet, Lord, I don't think I've finished my testimony yet. Uh, the Lord may sometimes, I, I just talk with the Lord. You do? Sure. The Lord says, you know what? I can give you a joke, Mark. I said, what is that? He said, that Pilate's uh, testimony might be finished. Uh, well, you know what? That might take us all down. But you know what? I remind the Lord, I don't believe my testimony's finished yet. And until that testimony is finished, then I, I'll keep on living. And these three and a half years are filled with these men who are, who are preaching against the temple that has been restored and against the world church. Then God says, after they have finished their testimony, God allows the beast, the Antichrist, to slay them. And they are not buried. And it says that the whole world sees their bodies lay there in the street of Jerusalem. And the whole world rejoices at and they give presents one to another. Now, how in the world, in time of uh, Martin Luther, could that ever be fulfilled? How in the world? Jerusalem is sacked. Jerusalem is completely destroyed. There's not a single Jew in Jerusalem. How in the world could there be a temple to be erected? How in the world could there be two witnesses there and how in the world could they kill them and the whole world know immediately of their death they asked that 400 years ago you know 400 years ago a little less they invented the telegraph 
And then the men began to write in 1880, 1890 about the coming of the Lord Jesus. And they began to believe that, that what John said in the book of the Revelation could be taken as literal as can be. And they began to say when they hear about the telegraph, later on, McCony came out and gave us the wireless. And they began to say, look, what can, we can have the, the message revealed and uh, surrounding the whole earth in just a moment at a time that this has happened. I remember it as a young boy when they began to use radio. And oh my, to have a little crystal set, you know. And then to get, get the big radio station. And then my began to hear this. And then we heard these great men as W.B. Riley, James Gray. Dr. Phil Potts of Moody, these great men now gone on to be with the Lord, how they got up and they said, it's just as though that we are reading our newspaper today. Why, we can hear these things right there on the radio just when it happens. It can go worldwide. But you know, later on came up and they invented television. And then I remember 20 years ago getting up there and I said, you fellows are seeing this now, but then we had some smart. It said, you know, uh, Dr. Cameron, they, they won't be able to see around the world because of the curvature of the earth. And uh, one man got up and says, you don't know, we can have the coxable cable. Boy, I, I love that coxable cable. Boy, I got on that. I said, yes, we can have the coxable cable and can go all over the world. But now they got old Telstar pow, up there. And she's sending forth messages around the world all the time. Then we don't like that and we send up another. And by the way, you know, we know they've sent up in the last 20 years, they have sent up 5,280 objects and over half of them are still up there. Now, what, what are we getting here? Now, we're just building up. There are right now around 2,900 objects going around the earth. They, we do not know when they will be burned up. They are going around the earth all the time. Now, now we're finding that by the television, they will be able to see the Antichrist. And you know, the Lord Jesus says, when ye shall see, just plain old blepo. Blepo, that's the word in uh, Greek, which means just to see. When ye shall see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet, when the Antichrist puts his throne into the temple to be declared to be God. All this happens at the same time when these two men are killed these two witnesses when you shall see it why right now we know that the world is ready did you know Israel today the nation of Israel is ready for the Antichrist they're not converted today we know this they're not even reformed over there in Israel oh we can find a few little uh, synagogues over there but you, you saw that two months ago in, a, in your own paper where they said that 85% of the Jewish people, Israelites, in Israel today are atheists. They have no religion whatsoever. Marsha Diane does not make any profession in any kind of religion. 85% of the people. But Dr. Stanford and I heard them four years ago. I heard them three years ago. Two years ago, Mr. Ebon said this at the United Nations three years ago. Listen, and some of you may be able to hear this and hear this coming Christmas. 
when we go over there, you know what they're saying? What is Israel in the land for? To bring in the Messiah, to bring in the golden age? Why, they don't even believe in the Torah. Much less the Tanakh. They don't believe majority of We were there two years ago, and this man had his Old Testament out reading to us as we went by and pointing to things out of the Bible. There it was, just like it was. One of the men on uh, our tour said, Do you believe what you're pre uh, reading there? He said, Of course not. And he was doing nothing reading but history. But you know what they've been saying for the last four years? Since the Six-Day War, Doc Stanford and I got there just right after the shooting. We got there when they still had the rubble around while they're taking the bulldozer and taking it up just right after they pulled down all those buildings to the Wailing Wall where there's 70,000 can get there now. So that's out of the Jerusalem Post today. They said, we are looking for a man with whom we can make a treaty no matter who he is, who will guarantee us perpetual peace. You'll hear that. Abney Bond, the great minister there to the United Nations, said, no, we'll never make a treaty with the United Nations because we did not fight the United Nations. Well, we'll make a treaty with any man who will guarantee us perpetual peace. They're there waiting for the Antichrist. They're there waiting for the building of the temple. Three years ago, Mr. Lindstrom, all of us were there. And all we began to talk to our guys, and they said, No, we don't want to ever build our temple. No, we'll never take over another secluded spot or a sacred spot of another religion and make it sacred to us. I said, Well, it's been yours for 4,000 years before they ever had it. But no, we're not going to build any temple. But when I had two years before that, three years before that, a representative of the Hebrew University come in my home and we begin to talk about the temple and he says, let me tell you, he says, we have already offered them the Jordan, that's before the Six-Day War, we've offered them $8 million for the temple site. Four years ago, in around Christmas, or the five years ago now, we saw here in our papers where they offered Jordan $21 million for the temple site. Now they own it. They didn't have to pay a thing. They went up and took it. But, oh, you, no, they, God's told us, no. My own brother was with me on this tour. We heard them say, no, we don't want our temple. But when we know they want the temple, and we know that it's, they tell us it take only about three weeks to put it up. Now, Stanford and I were at the, at the Wailing Wall. And as we were there, these two Arabs told us, uh, right here is where the Jews are going to build their temple, right here at the base, right here at the wedding. Well, I said, no, son, you've got it all wrong. He said, you know they have their plans. I said, oh, I know they have their plans and their drawings, but they got more than that. He says, you don't think they're going to build it here? I said, no. He said, where do you think they're going to build it? I said, see that dome of the rock right up there? That's up there on... He said there will be a religious war. I said, well, let it be a religious war, but that's where it's going to be built, right on top, right up there. There's only one place for a sacrifice. There's only one place for the house of God, and that's right up there. Israel owns it now. Our guides, and I'm going to say two years ago, they said the same thing. Oh, they have it. Memograph said, oh, we don't want a temple. No, we don't want to build our temple. We went out to one of the kibbutz, and when we went out there, as we saw, uh, we went there, Hank Linson knows this, and 
My brother knows this. We went there and they took us through a little synagogue they had. Most of them do not have synagogues, but they do. Then they took us into a classroom. And when we went into this classroom, there were two detachable blackboards on the floor there, leaning against the wall. And on one of them, it had to the minute uh, drawing, and it says this, the Dome of the Rock. That's right on there. But you know what the other one said? The proposed new temple. Oh, my. Things are getting ready more and more. The rapture is really upon us. It most certainly is. And we're seeing all these things coming to pass. Israel wants to make the covenant. Israel's in the land now, ready to make that covenant. The temple's about to be fixed up and to be set up. Oh, we begin to find out so many things are just right there, ready for the coming of our Lord. And we know that before these terrible, terrible most terrible pestilence come, and the most terrible of all terrible earthquakes come, and before the wars that go ahead, and on one occasion takes a fourth of the earth, and on another occasion a third of the earth, making one half of the world to be destroyed. No wonder Martin Luther said 400 years ago, it's impossible. But today, former President uh, Johnson, Mr. McNamara, and Dean Russ said this, we cannot agree, cannot guarantee, we cannot guarantee less than 88 millions of Americans to be killed in the first hour of atomic warfare. That's nearly half, isn't it? Oh, but what retaliation that would be. Oh, Brother Cameron, America's down. We don't have it. Our boys are taking dope there and smoke marijuana and all over the place. They are. But I want you to know, and this is give me a little bit of insight into America, and that I've found, and I'm rejoicing over here, there is a core of true Americanism. I'm not talking about the extreme right or the extreme left, but I mean those in the, I'm not talking about compromisers, those that are really in the middle of the road. His father's from the ditch, you know. Those, therefore, we find out they're really making the tracks as we find as little and uh, not as much dust in the middle of the road there of Americans that are really down, down to earth and uh, we have not sold all of our secrets and all of the things that happen. Don't you think for a moment we, uh, that America cannot be seemingly blinded off the face of the earth on the first hour of atomic warfare? It can't. But, oh, do we have any retaliation? You know, when we begin to give up one rocket base right after another and run after another, and people begin to say, oh, we're being sold down the river. It seemed like that. But you know what? We found out the reason why. Did you know that all of our rocket installations there in Turkey and also in Greece, and then as we surrounded uh, uh, Red Russia, did you know they are pinpointed uh, down to the minute mile? And when we can send a man... Uh, and three men up to the moon, then bring them back and they're on the way again. And then they'll come in a mile or two of their airplane carrier. Don't you think Russia doesn't have some, some mighty things, what they can do? We know that we have their launches, their rocket launches pinpointed for destruction too. 
They have all of ours. Oh, uh, now, if you... All what? All what? People said, how in the world did you get in there? I don't know. I want you to know I bawled. I cried when I got through. I saw one arm of our defense that people don't know so much about. And I said, oh, then we've got others. He says, of course we've got others. I said, I said to hear some people talk, I thought we were about ready to go down the drain. I thought nothing left in America. We went through this one airplane factory with the vice president. I saw such huge airplanes as I never thought could ever put be put on a drawing board. You talk about your 747? They're pretty good size, aren't they? They can put three or four of those inside. They can take over half, that's in here, 600 men with full equipment, machine guns and all, 600 men fully equipped and put them in the airplane and send them out. That's a lot of people. This airplane is so large, we saw them as they showed us pictures here. Now they've got a landing strip of its own, so as to speak. They don't have to have concrete to land in. They can land in nearly in the woods. They can land on the seashore. They can land in any kind of terrain you can think of. Rocky. Anything in the world. They said that this airplane is so large, and I'm telling you, I saw it. The tail went up six stories high. The very tail on the end of it looked like a fighter pilot. Or I should say a fighter plane. They're so large. I never saw such a plane in my life. And this is it. 36 carriages, landing gear. We saw this where they take this and put a launching pad in there. They said America had to have something to counteract what Russia pinpoint every one of our bases. And so now we have a machine that goes in there and puts in a launching pad with a rocket that's loaded with the A-bomb or the H-bomb, and when we land, we can pull it out. They can't pinpoint all of them and be at places they know not of. Put it up just like our missiles now in our submarines and send them all on the way to the enemy. Oh, I, I, and I, I said, we have this. He says, you saw number 53 today. Now, now, what are you saying this? The whole world is this getting this way now. It is. The whole world, and there's not going to be such a thing as uh, the draft to go out until we go right into, and they do, into the tribulation. We are going up. Everywhere I go, I have the men come and say, Brother Cameron, how long do you give till Jesus comes? Up there in Pennsylvania, they ask me, say, Brother Cameron, would you give him two years? I say, I can't think two years. Do you, do you give him a year? I said, that long? Do you say, say you come within six months? I said, don't you go out and say that. I said that. But you know what? It's just strange. Some of you just got married. You'll bear with me. And some of you just can't hardly wait till you do get married. It's the funniest thing, you know, that when the time comes, you got to know that it'll come. I've given this illustration so many times. When I was engaged to Miss Mary there, 
she was in Minnesota, and I was then way down 50 miles away in Wisconsin. And I had my, my, my church down there. And, uh, oh, again, the great sum was $7 a week. And just before I got married, they raised it to $12.5 uh, a week. How do you like to get that kind of thing? Oh, that was good. When you could get milk, six, six cents a quart, eggs, 20 cents a dozen. That was all right, you know. But anyway, boy, we still didn't, didn't make much money. But you know what? Uh, she would kind of, we would write letters and tell where I'd be. For one, oh, brother, I'd go from one farmhouse to the other, live out of my, my suitcase, hardest thing in this world. I said, can't I go out there and help you with the church? No, brother Mark, you just sit down and study it. Well, you know what? I, I got tired, but I'd eat with them. Oh, those good old Norwegians, we ate six times a day. Get up at, <laughs> get up at six o'clock, have a big breakfast, you know, everything. Well, sometimes they'd have fried corn, you know, boiled corn. Sometimes they'd have steak and all ham and everything you think of. Then, you know, the men come in at 10 o'clock for, for coffee and uh, roast sweet rolls. Then they come in for dinner. Oh, what a dinner. And then they come in at 3 o'clock for sweet rolls again. Then supper at 6 and what a supper. Then before we go to bed, 10 o'clock. I tell you, I ate all of them. I did. I, I just enjoyed myself and got bigger and bigger and bigger, you know. And... And uh, I go from one place to the other, and uh, Miss Mary would know just by my letters. When the telephone would ring, I said, that's Mary. And they go to answer it. And uh, they say, she, for you, Brother Cameron? I said, I knew it. I could just feel it. I could just feel it over those wires, you know. Psychic, you know. <laughs> and you know what? I, 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 I picked up the phone. I knew 30 more people were listening, 30 more homes way out there. They're all rubbering, you know. Oh, wasn't that fun? It was, you know. We did it on the others, too. But you know what? She began to say, <laughs> she began to say, Honey, how long is it? I said, Honey, just two more months, three more weeks, two more days, five more hours, and ten more minutes. Oh, she said, oh, she said, it's thrilling. Yes, oh, my. And, you know, uh, we began to talk, and she says, I love you. I said, Me, too. <laughs> She says, uh, you do what? I said, I do. And I could hear 30 people around those phones snickering, you know. Boy, I got all over LaCroix counter, you know, everything Mary and I said. Well, anyway, I said, I do. She said, what? I said, you know. She said, tell me. I said, I love you, honey. You know. We're all waiting for that time, waiting for that time. Man, knowing it all, boy, we, you know, I've said this. If uh, we, the bride, and Miss Mary's told me, said, oh, how she, she too looked with anticipation to our wedding. And uh, she counted the days too. But as the bridegroom, man, I was so thrilled, I tell you. And don't you know the bride of Christ, that's what we are. We're waiting for him to take us out of all this mess, Amen. And, you know, we can't wait till he's come. I won't see him for himself. I, not just to get out of the tribulation. I got up one time and I said, Some of you people want Jesus to come because you owe a lot of money. man came up to me and says, You know, I'm $2,000 in debt. I just told my wife tonight, Oh, Jesus, only come tonight. So, <laughs> oh, man. Like the young lady we had in one of our first year classes. Uh, first years. And I was on the second coming. I said, don't you know Jesus can come any minute? She said, don't say that, Dr. Cameron, don't. I said, what's the matter? 
She said, I'm engaged to be married, and I want to get married before Jesus comes. No. Oh. <laughs> well, the, the, Lord, the Lord delayed his coming. She got married, and she thought, we wish he had to come. <laughs> Uh, uh, <laughs> anyway, you know, the time came for the wedding here. And we're talking about all oh, my, we have been espoused as a chaste virgin to the Lord Jesus. And we're just waiting for that time when it says, and the wife have made herself ready. We're ready for the marriage supper of the Lamb, where we'll be united with our, our bridegroom, my Lord. And as the two sang so beautiful the song, of the woman and her lover. It can be attributed, of course, to the bride and to the Lord Jesus. And so, you know, we got there. We began to uh, rehearse. And Dr. Riley says, now, is this going to be a wedding or is it going to be a show? We say it's going to be a wedding. Not too much of a show. Well, you know, we went ahead, went through it. He said, all right, see you tomorrow night. So when we all got there, the place was well filled. And Dr. Riley, my best man, George Wilson, and I, we're on the outside there behind the curtains and, and old Ted Bergman was playing that big organ and oh man he just making it and every once in a while he'd hit do 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 you know we get up Dr. I said not yet boys not yet not yet wait just a minute and you know he'd go around finally you know he modulated down there dun, and the doctor said we're ready to go now he says now boys I want you to look at me when I get out to that certain point out there then you two come I said okay and so when he got there, then George and I came and got there, and then we waited, of course, for the bridesmaid and the, and the groomsman, the bridesmaid and the groomsman, and so forth. And, you know, uh, then when Mary came out from the vestibule on the outside, old Ted pulled out every, every stop he had, you know. Boy, he gave it. It just made me shiver from top down to my heels, you know, all... Everybody said they could tell without knowing Mary's back there by my face that here she came in. Here she came down that aisle. Down, it's a huge place. Oh, how holds nearly 3,000 people, you know. And when she got down there to the 10th row, doctor, this one rehearsed. He looked at me and he said, son, go get her. I've never seen that before, have you? I said, sir, he said, go get her. I said, up the aisle. He said, sure, sure. I said, here it goes. (laughs) I got up there and met her at the fifth row. She looked at me, those big old brown eyes. She said, what's the matter? (laughs) I said, Doc says it's okay. Okay. (laughs) So I took off the arm of a father. And after his old, my dad said he thought I was running out on him, you know. <laughs> and so, you know what, when I got there and took her on down and down and then there, and then she became mine. Oh, I said yes, and I emphasize this. She said that she was so happy, and she looked forward to the time. But oh, nothing like I did. And so it is with the Lord Jesus. Did you know he has bought us with his own precious blood? Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And did you know our Lord wants us? 
Isn't that wonderful to be wanted that much? Well, why doesn't he come? He's waiting for the Father to say, Son, go get her. Amen. Thanks for listening to Make It Clear and to today's special guest, Dr. Mark Cameron. My name is Stan Pons, and I'm your host and president of Florida Bible College. If you'd like to know more about Florida Bible College and how it has classes on campus, online, and even on site, please visit our website at floridabiblecollege.com. That's floridabiblecollege.com. We're also very grateful for all those who support Make It Clear. It's through your prayers and financial support that we're having such a local and global impact with the truth of the gospel that so clearly states salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. Well, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior and you would like to be a part of helping us get this message out to others, you may send your gift to Make It Clear, Post Office Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. That's Make It Clear, Post Office Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Or you can go to our website, makeitclear.org. That's makeitclear.org and use the secure donate link. You may also request your free devotional called The Word for You Today. Well, thank you so much for listening today and be back next time for Make It Clear. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us Make It Clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear.